Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hey guys, this is my first solo episode back. I realized recently that I haven't done a lot of solo episodes in previous seasons of the show, and I think a big reason for that is because, frankly, I was insecure that solo episodes would be less engaging or less interesting, but I'm finding more and more that I have these thoughts and things that I want to talk about on the show and that I want to share with you guys that don't necessarily need a guest, and I don't think a guest would necessarily make the episode or the thoughts that I have any better or more validating. So expect more solo episodes this season. I was recently looking at past episodes, just kind of going through, getting ready for the new season. And there were a decent amount of episodes that I considered deleting. And while I feel that some of the episodes, you know, could be updated culturally or strictly based on quality some just didn't feel like an accurate representation of me anymore and I really grappled with that with feeling like I thought the episode was enjoyable I thought it was educational I thought it was fun I liked the guest but I noticed that I would say things or recount things or have ideas on things that just didn't necessarily feel accurate to me as a person anymore. And I remember talking to my partner about this and being like, well, if that's not who I am anymore, or if I don't believe those things or you know feel that way personally, should I have those episodes up? And he was very much like, absolutely you should because isn't that the point of this whole show is that sexuality and the way that we are in relationships and the way that we are just as humans is ever-changing, right? That's the reason you have this show is to talk about how nuanced this is and how it's okay to change or to be a certain way one day and then a year later be a completely different way. And I think that's totally fine. So... I kept the episodes up, um, but it made me really realize how much 
I've changed, I think. And how much I think as humans, we're so fluid. You know, I just kind of talked about that. And we talk a lot on the show about gender fluidity or sexual fluidity. Uh, But in general, I feel like I'm always changing, right? Like, Joan Didion has this incredible essay. It's called On Keeping a Notebook. And in it, she explains that we have this tendency to diary or journal. And it's not simply because we have a personal record of things, but because we want to remember the person we were at that specific moment. And I think that's so beautiful because I feel like I'm a different person every day (laughs) Or, or every week or every month. And my style is changing or my belief systems are changing. Maybe not my belief systems as a whole, but, you know, I'll hear a point that I think makes a lot of sense and makes me kind of change the way that I feel about something or softens me or makes me more empathetic to a specific situation. And so, yeah, I decided to keep those episodes up because I think in general, but specifically in our sexuality and it, and, and, and in the way that we interact with others in relationships really is ever-changing. And I think that's really cool because um, there's this constant space for growth. And I think in a lot of ways I've improved, right? Like I think that was my issue with not wanting to keep the episodes up was that I felt embarrassed, that I felt insecure about a partner liking other girls' posts on Instagram or not confident enough to ask for what I want in bed or generally just insecure in my attachments and the way that I was dating and the way that I was communicating with partners. And trust me, I would love to be able to get on here and say, I'm perfect. And, you know, I was younger during those episodes and now I'm perfectly secure and I I never get jealous and I'm incredible with my relationships and I always communicate in a way that's healthy and respectful and I never do things that cross boundaries with my partner or upset them but that that's not true because I'm human and I make mistakes and I think especially in relationships you're dealing with a whole other person and shit happens and we fuck up that's okay um so I'm more confident and in some ways And I'm less secure in others. I'm more secure with my fiance. I'm engaged. And I think in previous relationships, I struggled a lot with insecurity. And I could do an entire episode on why those things are partially my fault and also partially the people that I was dating were cultivating insecurity and kind of breeding an environment that made me feel like I couldn't express my feelings. Um... But truthfully, I think I'm just more secure as a person now. And I think I'm just a better partner. And I think I'm more confident in my relationship. I don't really think about what my partner does on Instagram or who they follow or if they go out to dinner with a friend that happens to be of the opposite sex or if they meet a new friend of the opposite sex or... If some girl comes up to them at a show and they're like, oh my God, hey, I haven't seen you in so long. You look great. And I'm not worried in a way that I think I was, you know, in my early 20s or my mid 20s. I'm just fully secure in my relationship. I think I'm more open with my partner around monogamy. And although I've talked a lot on the podcast about how much I do love ethical non-monogamy and I think it can be 
really healthy and incredible and people who can practice it in a way that's totally open and completely healthy and loving are just on this higher level that I think is really beautiful and enlightened. Um, And I think I'm more open to that with my own partner and seeing them have relationships with other people, not even sexually because we are monogamous at the moment, but just seeing the possibility or seeing them hang out with someone and me being very aware that that person maybe has a little crush on them or something and not feeling insecure to the point where I think I have to intervene or even say something and I can just kind of be like, oh, that's cute. There's a little crush there. And accepting that that's just sort of a human thing and that it's not a threat to my relationship is very new for me. So in those ways, I feel like I'm light years more confident, more secure. I'm a lot more secure, I think, in my relationships and even in my friendships than I was before. I'm also more confident during sex and asking for what I want. It's really hard to do that for a lot of people and I'm in a place where I'm going to tell you if I don't like the way that feels or if I'm not going to get off that night and I'm going to tell you exactly what I need to make the experience as pleasurable as possible while of course still allowing room for my partner to do the same. With that being said, I'm also in a place right now in my life where I'm less secure with myself, which is unfortunate, but you know, it's it's an ebbs and flows. We go through waves. I think that I've noticed recently that I've had a bit of a struggle with the way that I perceive myself and in turn the way that I think other people perceive me. I've been feeling really insecure about the way that I look and that's been a bit of a struggle. I've noticed that I'm having less sex with my partner with the lights on, (laughs) which sounds really silly, but I've always been really, really confident sexually. And I've just never really thought about the way that I was being perceived by my partner. And we always think about the way that we look, right? We live in this modern world where we're constantly seeing our own face reflected back at us, whether that's in mirrors or in selfies or photos people take of us on Instagram and on TikTok and on Snapchat. And it's it's relentless and it's awful for us. But I think although I've been aware of it in that sense, I never really worried about the way that my partner felt about me. Like I've always been really secure in that, well, this person has chosen to be with me, so they're obviously attracted to me. And I'm very confident in my how do I word this, sexual abilities. So I just never really thought about the way that like my face looked during sex or that my body looked. And it's a new struggle for me recently and it's been really hard. And I just, I've never experienced that where my mind goes to other places when I'm being intimate my, with my partner and it's less about the pleasure I'm receiving or the pleasure I'm giving. And it's more, you know, does my face look weird right now or How does my body look at this angle? It's very, very new for me. And it's something I've been dealing with and kind of wondering where that's coming from and going through, you know, where that's stemming from with my therapist. And it's been a whole thing. So it's just interesting to look back at past episodes and see where I was less confident, where I was more secure, and where I am now and accepting that it's a journey and that I'm never going to 
reach this place of perfection and I'm never going to be this perfect person. And really just accepting that I don't need to try to portray myself as perfect, whether it's on Instagram or on the podcast. Because there is this pressure that we all feel, right? This pressure of wanting to be perfect, frankly. Um, And I think for me, it's wanting to be perfect as a sexual being, as a woman, as a sex educator, wanting to feel like I have all the answers and that I'm someone that people can look to when they're struggling with not being as sexually open as they'd like to be. But the truth is that's, it's, it's unrealistic, you know? It's this idea that I have to execute the perfect performance of personhood is doing nothing but damage to myself and in turn to everything around me, to my relationships and to the show. You know, we have this obsession with identity and it's so crazy. I've been thinking about this a lot and I've been ranting about it a lot on social media. The irony is not lost on me that I'm ranting about it on social media, but this idea that when you do something or enjoy something, it immediately needs to develop into part of your identity, right? And then you become person who reads or person who watches art films or person who enjoys tennis. And it's like, my God, it's so exhausting. Like you can literally just do things without restructuring your whole performance of personhood around it. And in turn, your whole social media, right? It's like, have you ever noticed you're doing something and you feel really cool, right? Even if you're doing it organically, you're reading a essay, some philosophical essay, or you're watching a Criterion film, or you're trying a new sport for the first time or doing something really cute like going to do pottery and it's like if you don't make sure that the world knows and by the world I mean the people who watch your Instagram story it almost feels like it didn't even happen like you know it's it's so interesting you're and and I have to accept that I'm never going to be able to have an entirely unfractured view of myself right? I'm never going to be able to rationalize all of the complex parts of who I am into some idealized version of myself or character that I formulate online. We can enjoy things without performing them. I'm going to repeat that again. We can enjoy things without performing them. And I'm saying that to people who are listening, but also to myself because I fall into that trap so often and it's exhausting and it makes things less fun. And I'm trying to remind myself of that more often in regards to the podcast. You know, I've never looked at my partner or any previous partner's phones. I've never, ever looked through any partner's phones, right? And I'm really proud of that. I've never crossed that boundary. I've never invaded someone's privacy in that way. You know what I have done? I have pushed and pushed and pushed partners to tell me in detail stories of past sexual experiences or feelings about other people or stories involving their previous partners until I hurt my own feelings just like out of morbid curiosity and then turned that around and found a reason to fight about it or got upset and was in a 
bitchy mood the rest of the day because of it. Is that awful? Absolutely. Was I a good partner that day? No, I was not. That's okay. As long as I'm willing to own up to what I did to learn and grow. As long as I'm able to come to them and be like, hey, that behavior was inexcusable. That wasn't cool. I hold myself to this very high standard. I have a really hard time with perfectionism, I think. And so I think specifically in the realm of sex education and relations I have with other people, I hold myself to this really, really high standard because I feel like it's this imposter syndrome if I fuck up. If I can't even be a good partner to my fiance, how can I get on here and give advice to other people? But that's bullshit because I learn from those things and I can understand when I've done something wrong. And if I can't, I'm very lucky that I have a partner that will tell me and that will tell me in a way that's loving and that gives me room for growth and that doesn't feel judgmental or pushy. And then I can come on here and I can talk about it and I can explain why I did what I did and why I was feeling that way and why it was wrong, you know? So I'm trying to let go of that control and understand that it's okay to not be a perfect partner, a perfect woman, a perfect sexual partner, you know? I I feel like there's a lot of pressure there too. It's like if I feel taken back by a kink that someone tells me and I'm not immediately just completely understanding I feel like a bad sex educator or if I get called out for using, you know, a wrong term or I'm being too binary with something, I get really, really, really down on myself. But I'm learning. You know, we're, we're it's a learning process and that's what I love about sex education is it is so fluid and it is so ever-changing. And as humans are changing and as we're evolving and as we're learning more about gender and sexuality, things are going to change. And all we can do is accept that change and try our best to be the best versions of ourselves for our partners, for our friends, for the world. I know I'm a good sex educator, even if I pick a fight with my partner because I'm having a bad day or stumble upon a new term and kink that I didn't know before. We, we need to give ourselves room to be flawed and accept that being flawed doesn't make us less than. It doesn't mean that we aren't deserving of love or respect, whether that's relationally or professionally. This reminds me a lot of that quote that's been like repurposed a lot where it's usually along the lines of something like, how can anybody else love you until you love yourself? And I think that's actually really fucked up because it's like, absolutely, if you love yourself and you respect yourself, you will inherently have better relationships. If you love yourself enough to set boundaries and to understand that you need to come first sometimes in situations, absolutely you'll have better relationships. But this idea that until you love yourself unconditionally, you're undeserving of love from other people really, really perpetuates this idea that we're 
constantly striving for perfection, which is never going to happen. You're just going to end up in this constant unhappy loop where you're striving to be this person that you're never going to be. I hear this all the time or somebody says, I'm lonely or I'm just not feeling valued by my partner or my loved ones or somebody's like, I really want to be in a relationship. Like I really want a romantic partner. And the stock response is like, well, do you value yourself? Because you need to learn to enjoy being alone. I hate that, right? Like as if lonely people aren't very intimately familiar with being alone. It's just fucked up because self-esteem and love are important. Absolutely. But they're not substitutes for companionship or friendship or romance. And pretending that loneliness or not being 100% happy or in love with yourself is a personal failure that can only be fixed by self-improvement, it feels, I don't know, it feels like delusional and also kind of cruel that people who haven't achieved perfect self-love or complete happiness with being alone aren't deserving of romantic partners or love is really, really fucked up. With that being said, I saw this TikTok the other day and a lot more often recently, actually, where the caption was, it was so ridiculous. It was something like, when you're his first bipolar clingy girlfriend who doesn't know how to deal with her emotions and can't communicate when she's upset or when you're the first jealous girl who cries every day and needs constant attention I'm getting fed these TikToks a lot I think because I'm it's because I'm watching them am I tripping this isn't funny to me like this isn't okay this trope of leaning into being quote-unquote crazy or jealous or toxic or this whole thing about like supporting women's wrongs and I'm not trying to sound like I have a stick up my ass because I can understand a joke right it's okay to like joke about those things once in a while and you know those funny videos where it's like your friend is telling you that she cheated on her boyfriend and you're like it's okay I support women like it's funny I get it it's a joke but I am absolutely seeing more and more these specifically women leaning into this trope of not knowing how to communicate their feelings or being jealous or needing constant attention or being the crazy girl. And it's fucked up, especially with the way things you like get served to you nowadays. The algorithm adjusts to you so well that you fall into this mindset and then you're trapped in this loop and it becomes sort of pervasive. It becomes like this echo chamber where you're just enabled to continue to be toxic or unhealthy in relationships. And I don't know, I feel like it's a pendulum swing sometimes, right? Like it was cool girl for so long, right? And it was this thing where you had to be really cool and not like other girls and you could hang with the bros and you didn't care about emotions and then we sort of wised up right and that became not cool to be the cool girl in fact it became pick me right we like gave it a name we stigmatized it it's not cool to adjust your personality to be anti-woman in order to appeal to the male gaze amazing I love that But now it feels like the pendulum is swinging so far the opposite way (laughs) to the point where it's like, 
do whatever you want. Be awful to your partner. Cry immediately when you don't get what you want. Never talk about your feelings in a healthy way. Be toxic. (laughs) It's so wild. And I think that as women or as femmes or as people with vulvas, we just don't need to box ourselves. You know, it goes back to this performance of personhood. We don't need to be defined by these tropes that are assigned to us by like media or society or whatever it is. And these boxes exist everywhere. It's maddening. It's so annoying, the boxes that are set in place that we fall into so easily. It's like we fall into these like tropes, these sexual tropes especially, and it can be so damaging to our growth as people. And oftentimes I've noticed that people do this to their own partners in relationships, you know, like you do, have you ever noticed this? You do something once and forever afterwards, your partner does it to you because you asked for it once. Like you like to be choked or slapped or you tell them to spit in your mouth and that's awesome and great, right? But then it's like three months later, they're still doing it every single time and you're just like, the partner who likes to be slapped and spit on now. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I feel like I've dealt with this in relationships before where I ask for something like that. And then months down the road, we're having really intimate, sensual sex. And there's like candles lit and it's this like really romantic moment. And we're like saying, I love you. And then my partner will like spit in my mouth. And I'm like, what are, what? are you doing? And they'll be like, well, I thought you liked that. And it's like, yeah. In that moment, that one time, that was great. In general, yes, I can get down with that. But it doesn't define me as a sexual being. And I get it, right? It's it's easier to feel control or like you know someone when you can compartmentalize them. And that transcends sex. That goes for every interaction we have with humans. It's so much easier to feel like you're in control of relationships when you can define them and you can compartmentalize them and you can put people in a box. And we do it to ourselves too, right? Like it's easier to feel like we understand ourselves better when we box ourselves into a category. And that goes back to this performance of personhood and feeling like, well, I know exactly who I am sexually because I'm Dom and because I'm a kinkster, and because I like this and that. Or I know exactly who I am, and I know I'm intelligent because I read three books a month. You know what I mean? It's like we we box ourselves because then it feels easier to define ourselves. And the way we choose to define ourselves is so funny and so interesting. This kind of goes back to the cool girl trope for me that we talked about earlier because that is something I fell into really, really bad. I wouldn't necessarily call myself a pick-me because I don't feel, I genuinely don't feel like I ever let it affect my relationships with women. I feel like I've always really, really been a girl's girl and I do not throw women under the bus. I do not come for other women's looks ever. And I just don't, fall into that. But when it comes to myself, I was very, very cool girl. And especially in context of relationships with men, I 
for so long in my early 20s felt like I needed to be this type of woman who didn't have any needs, didn't need a lot of attention. You can go hang out with your boys every night. That's okay. I'll see you in a few days, babe. I'm cool. I'm not really an emotional person, you know? I uh, I don't really cry. It's not really my thing. You know, I was very I – was, I was boxing myself into that because – I thought that's what the people I was dating wanted. Or not even that I thought it was what they wanted, but I thought if I made myself the least emotionally needy I could, that they would like me more. I shouldn't even say emotionally needy. Just a person who needs things and who has emotions and who wants to express them in a healthy way and who has wants and needs as we all do. But I very much felt like to attract the men that I wanted to attract, which frankly a lot of the times weren't the type of people that I should have been dating in the first place, I needed to be a cool girl. I needed to not care what they did, not set boundaries, not be upset at them when they did things that disrespected me or that disrespected our relationship, had no value for my own time, if people canceled night of or chose to do something else that didn't involve me, that wasted my time, didn't tell me on time, whatever the case was, anything went. It was totally fine. And did those things make me more appealing? Yeah, I guess. Again, to the wrong people. Was there longevity in that? No, absolutely not because – that wasn't me. I was acting. I was putting on this, you know, I was, it was a trope. It was the cool girl trope. I was just being what I thought they wanted me to be or what I thought I had to be to get these people to like me. It would go as far as me acting like I didn't even want a relationship. I would tell people that I wasn't looking for anything serious. I'm emotionally unavailable. We should just be friends with benefits. I'm not asking you to change anything about your life. Again, because I I had this idea that that's what men wanted when in reality I was really kind of just fucking it up for myself because if you set very low expectations for yourself, that's where people meet you most of the time, especially when you're younger and you're dating people who are selfish or who don't want to be tied down or who are – their mind is everywhere and they're focused on their friends and on their work, people aren't going to meet you higher than you ask them to most of the time. So I would set these extremely low expectations and then my feelings would be hurt when people would not exceed those expectations and I realized – how much I did that when I was younger, even in actual relationships, when I would be with someone and we were exclusive or monogamous in love, the whole thing, I had such a hard time expressing my needs and even identifying my needs, even figuring out for myself what I needed. And it's a whole other battle. Those are two separate battles. Identifying your needs is the first step and being like, these are the things that I need to be happy in my relationships is the first battle. And then the second is being able to 
openly and healthily express those needs. But I would get into these relationships with people who were under the impression that I didn't have any needs. (laughs) And so I really just fucked myself up. It really took me a long time to learn how to identify my needs and and especially a long time to learn how to express them. And I think I'm pretty good at it now, but it would manifest in these ugly ways and I find it happening a lot with friends of mine who are dating or people who write in. They're setting this precedent that they don't have any needs and then they're feeling sad or rejected or unfulfilled when those needs that they haven't expressed aren't being met. It's a very, very vicious cycle. And I get it because I was that person for so long. It's very vulnerable to express your needs to people. You're literally saying, I need these things from you. I need things that I cannot give myself, that I'm going to rely on you for, that are going to make my life better, that are going to make our relationship better, that are going to make me happier and more fulfilled in our relationship. And I need them from you. That's very vulnerable. It's really hard to do. But I noticed for me, it didn't make the relationship better when I didn't express those needs. In fact, it manifested in these ways where I would pick fights or I'd get upset over things, little things that were really just the a byproduct of a much bigger issue. I would get upset because my partner was constantly hanging out with their friends and making no time for the relationship. But I had never expressed, hey, I need intimate time together. I need to feel valued. I need to feel that alone time with me is a priority for you. But instead of just saying that, they'd go out with their friends and I'd get mad and I'd pick a fight and they'd be confused and they'd be like, you're upset because I'm hanging out with my friends? No, I'm not upset that you're hanging out with your friends. I'm upset that my needs aren't being met. It's just another way that we feel the need or that I felt the need personally to achieve this unattainable idea of perfection. To me, the perfect woman, in hetero relationships at least, was not needy, was cool, was fine with anything. So I guess the theme of this episode really is just letting go of perfectionism in general, but in relationships, in sex, in your relationship with yourself, in your relationship with your sensuality or your sexuality or your partner or partners when you're out there dating, it's okay to fuck up, you know? It's okay to not always be perfect. And I think as long as you're continually trying to be better and grow and learn and understand why something you did affected you negatively or affected other people negatively and actively working to make sure that you're not hurting yourself or others is really all we can do. It's a process, you know, and that process does not end. Well, it ends with death, but in the meantime, (laughs) 
we're consistently working on ourselves and that's okay. That's what makes us human. That's what makes us sexy, honestly. The people that I find sexiest and the most attractive and the cool and the most interesting, the people I want to like get to know and also make out with are the people who you can tell they know that they're flawed. They know that, you know, they have maybe physical features that aren't perfect, that aren't aligned with whatever's cool right now in society or on social media or their body isn't perfect or that they've fucked up in the past and they're just so accepting of it. That is so sexy. And that's where I'm going to end this solo episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you want more of the podcast, follow Was That Good For You on Instagram. If you like me or the show at all, <laughs> leave it a good review on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really does mean a lot and helps me out. Okay, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye.